This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, front and center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. I always say everybody dies and then people go, does that include you? And I go, yeah, but I just have to be last. It's Chrysomania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man. Oh, That's a powerful question. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet. Oh, welcome back again to the Chris Van Vliet Show. Thanks for being with us on another audio adventure. This episode is brought to you by Bosley, Indeed, and Bets Online. And yeah, we made it happen. The Murderhawk Monster is here on the podcast, finally. By the way, we find out why his nickname is the Murderhawk Monster and how he came up with that. A huge thank you to Lance Archer for joining me for this conversation. And as you'll see, he is absolutely nothing like his character on TV. If it's your first time here, make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform it is that you're listening on so you don't miss out on any future interviews or future episodes. Take a screenshot. Let us know that you're with us on this one. Tag us on social media. I am at Chris Van Vliet. Lance is Lance underscore Hoyt. And man, so many new reviews last week, uh, and thank you so much. I think this i think this is the biggest week we've had in a while, if not ever, and we're getting ever so close to that goal of 2,000 reviews, and I'm going to keep reading one out on every single episode as we get to that goal of 2,000 reviews by May 19th. Specific goals get specific results. My birthday is May 19th, so 2,000 reviews. We've got some time. I think we can make this thing happen. Appreciate you for being along uh, on this ride and uh, especially appreciate Easy ES for this review. Get this man a TV show. Best of the best podcast. Man, that is, wow. Okay. The Joe Rogan of wrestling podcasts. Fun, exciting, and profound interviews. Great questions. Awesome attitude. Love to start my day with a great CVV pod on my way to work. Thank you to Chris and his team. Having a popular podcast is great, but Chris needs his own talk show on TV ASAP. Wow. Get with the program, WWE Network. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, sir. That is very kind. And I feel like I should have paid you to say all those nice things about me. Um, I'm not so sure that all of those are accurate, but I appreciate the very kind words in any case. And please keep those reviews coming. And you know what? I'm definitely going to have 
another TV show one day. I'm just, I'm not exactly sure what that TV show is going to be or, or when that TV show is going to be. But if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm literally up for trying anything. Skydiving, bungee jumping, I've swam with alligators, drove a tank. Yeah, you get the idea. I'll, I'll do anything. And I'm thinking maybe that can be worked into a TV show one day. I don't know. Until then, though, you're going to keep seeing these adventures on my YouTube channel. Before we get to Lance Archer, guys, listen up. If you're wrestling with what to do with hair loss, then I can pin this down for you. Go to Bosley. Bosley is America's number one hair restoration expert. Bosley can help you keep the hair you have and put hair where you need it most. And today, listeners of the Chris Van Vliet Show can get started by learning more with a free info kit and $250 off gift card. Just text CVV to 203-203. And the earlier you take action, the more options you're going to have for keeping your hair. Millions of people all over the country have turned to Bosley to help find solutions for their hair loss. People trust Bosley, and so should you. Bosley offers the latest technology and the only permanent solution for hair loss. Get started with a free info kit today by texting CVV to 203-203. That's CVV to 203-203. Okay, Lance Archer made a huge statement when he made his AEW debut on Dynamite back in March on the last show before fans weren't allowed to be in attendance in the arena. We talk about what led to his signing with AEW, how he made a name for himself in New Japan and how he discovered the monster that is the Murderhawk monster in Japan. We talk about him working in WWE in 2009 and 2010. The opponents that he's looking to face now, his favorite matches so far, and so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Lance Archer. Lance, welcome to the show. What's up, man? <laughs> We've talked about making this happen for a while, and here we are. We're doing it. Finally, finally. Finally, your hair has never looked better, I think. That's what I say each time she does, because she does a good job, but you know. <laughs> how, how much of this is your actual hair? Uh, now it's actually kind of easier to tell where the blonde is. That's actually my hair, because I bleached it out right before the, uh, the moxie match. So when you go through, you know, the rest of like your regular life with hair like right. this, what are, <laughs> what are the reactions that you get from people? The funny thing is, is I think the hair has actually become as much or more recognizable than I am, uh, you know, and especially in, in, in this world we live in where everybody's wearing masks and stuff and your face is covered. I get stopped all the time just because they go, they recognize the hair. They see the hair. If it's in, when it's out, it's a little bit different. Like I didn't have it in the other day. And some guys saw that we had, you know, AEW masks on and he was like, oh, you guys like that AEW? And I was like, yeah, just a little bit, you know, and. And uh, then he was informed that, you know, I, I work there and he's like trying to figure it out. And then, you know, I didn't have the braid in. So I was like, yeah, I don't have the hair. And, you know, the Murderhawk monster Lance Hardy, he goes, oh, my God. Like he freaked out once he figured it out. But like not having the hair in is such a signature thing right now. So. Right. Who, who came up with the, the name, the Murderhawk monster? Uh, I did, I guess. Yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, uh I changed the hair. So last year when uh, the G1 happened, you know, it was one of those situations where I took it upon myself. I was like, this is a big opportunity for me. You know, initially I wasn't even in the G1 for that year. 
Um, they were starting in Dallas. I was going to be on that show, but then I was included into the G1. And, you know, I've been a part of a great tag team, KES, Killer Lead Squad, for many years. And this was my first real coming out party as a singles wrestler in New Japan since before uh, Smith had joined New Japan, you know, back in 2012. And KES had gotten started. So, yeah, I just I did everything I could to change every part of me that was known to the wrestling world. You know, and the G1 was such a huge platform. Um, we were going to be live on Access TV in the United States of America. New Japan Pro Wrestling was. So it was just one of those situations where I was like, I'm going to change everything. And the initial uh, hair was not the braid. Um, it was more of a, a crazy poofed up mohawk thing. And, uh, you know, we started calling it, a, you know, this crazy mohawk and this and that. And I was like, oh, it's not a mohawk. It's a murder hawk. And then I was like, oh, it's morphed into the murder hawk monster, you know, and just, you know, every, everybody's had their little monster monikers in the professional wrestling world throughout the history and time of the business. But I just thought it was fun to say murder hawk monster. Yeah. You know, when you, when you look at all the different looks you've had since your career started, <laughs> like it's evolved like a, a ton. Yeah. 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 Somebody posted a video from uh, early TNA stuff, you know, and I had the I had the long hair, but it was kind of bleached blonde in different areas. And everybody's like, oh, my God, it's the same dude. You know, people not realizing that I was the same guy that then as I am now and so on and so forth. It's, it's fun. It's been an interesting morph. I think anybody that's had a, a long career has had a lot of different images and looks for the most part. You know, a few guys get lucky and catch a gimmick that just lasts throughout history and time that. They never have to change, but, you know, even some of the biggest names in the business, the Stone Cold Steve Austin's and the Canes and even Undertaker prior to being Undertaker, you know, he had his images and stuff prior to that, you know, and so you, you start looking at those guys and the history of who they were, you know, a grant, again, much more successful people than I've been, but uh, at the same time, you have to understand, you know, it's the entertainment world and things morph and change. And I think you have to adapt. If you don't, you, you can grow stale really quick and, and die off really fast. Has anybody told you with the current facial hair that you have now that you kind of look like <laughs> Liev Schreiber? <laughs> no, I, I, I modeled after Lemmy from Motorhead. You know, that oh, was, yeah, like, totally. I don't know. It's just something about the shape of your face. I'm like, Liev Schreiber. You look just like him. <laughs> this, is, this is a great compliment. No, he, he, he's a very he looks handsome like man. Me. He looks like me. He looks like that, me. I don't look like him. There you that go. is it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after you've been everywhere in your wrestling career, you've worked for everyone You've been fired from a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you foresee AEW becoming a possibility? Um, I you know I don't know. It was one of those things like you know it, when all this really started last year, and it all started close to about this time. Uh, you know, it was December of 2019 uh, when uh, I just finished up the the New Japan Tag League tour, literally two days prior, and then AEW came to town to Dallas, Texas, and so I went there to just see some friends and whatnot because there's a lot of people there that I've been around the business with and become really good friends with, um, and that was kind of where the the I think the seed was planted just because people were asking, you know, what my situation and at that time my situation with New Japan um, was that I didn't have a full time contract. I was still running under the old system, you know, the, the tour by tour, that's kind of just how they did business with the guys in the foreigners, uh, through the history of wrestling. You know, it was just, you show up, you sign a little deal, you write, work the tour, that's your contract. And when it's done, you're finished as far as that contract's concerned. But I I'd done that for at that point, you know, eight and a half years with new Japan. Um, you know, and so I didn't go looking for a job, but 
ultimately that's kind of what happened, you know, and I've been lucky and blessed in a lot of different ways. Like you said, I've been worked in a lot of different places from TNA to WWE for a short cup of coffee, you know, showed up in ring of honor a few times, worked down in Mexico, AAA and different places like that, you know, so I've, I've bounced around. I've been a journeyman to say the least. Well, your debut is like so impactful. Did, did you know <laughs> when you signed on that you were going to be tossing around Marco's stunt in your debut? No, I had no idea. You know, there's obviously lots of different, you know, ideas and, and thoughts as to exactly what my debut was going to be. You know, even just the walkout with Jake and I uh, in Salt Lake before the world shut down um, was, you know, that was kind of a morphed thing. You know, it had gone back and forth with being more action packed to an actual match to different things. And then it was decided, you know, we'll just do it more subtly with you and Jake, just kind of sauntering out there and sitting by ringside and, you know, maybe acting like you're going to come over the rail, but then, you know, Jake's the, the, the voice of reason, uh, the, the evil voice of reason to say the least, um, you know, and then, and then the debut, which, you know, we did everything, uh, in Atlanta for that was, that was when everything really shut down and before, you know, wrestling as we are knowing it now was really going, it was really the initial deals, you know, working and we did it, you know, working with our peers as uh, audience and that just that little bit of ambiance, that sound, you know, even our guys and girls, you know, yelling and screaming and booing and cheering helped tremendously, you know, not having to do that in an absolute dead empty arena uh, was so much better than, you know, the unfortunate aspects of a lot of wrestling when it first started and went down. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, Marco is so small. You are so big by comparison. Right. Was there any limitations of like, all right, man, like I could, I could literally do anything to you. Were there any limitations on that match? No, none, none, none whatsoever, you know, and Marco, <laughs> he's a tough little son of a bitch, man. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that you look at him and you see him and if you don't know him, you're like, man, he, he he's just, he, like you said, he's such a small dude, but he is a tough little dude, man. You know, he got tossed and thrown and from here to Timbuktu in that match, especially, and you know, he, that's been his whole career and he's still running and gunning, going and full of spunk fight and attitude, man. It, it, you have to respect him for that. You know, you know, I say everybody dies and somehow he survived. You know, I, I, I just, I, I let him live. You know, I tossed him, killed him and destroyed him. But, you know, I, I didn't want to just completely end his life. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up everybody dies because I think okay. a lot of people look at that as like, you know, Lance Archer could kill everybody. Everybody right. dies. But I think there's also like a double meaning to that, like almost questioning your own mortality. Everybody dies. Let's try to right. claim in as much as we can while right. we're alive here. Right. I always say everybody dies and then people go, does that include you? And I go, yeah, but I just have to be last. <laughs> Is there a certain element of that though, where it's like, Everybody dies. So I like, I, I, I got to realize that there's opportunities mm -hmm. in front of me. I got to take those things. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, again, I, I've, like you brought up, you know, I've, I've been around the world in this business, of professional wrestling, you know, from every company here, there and everywhere. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of opportunities that have stepped in front of me that I didn't take full advantage of. So definitely there's, there's, there's kind of that, that underlying meaning to everybody dies. And it's like, you know, everybody's career ends at some point. Um, I've been lucky and blessed over 20 years now and still going strong um, and at a top level with a top company in the business of professional wrestling. So I'm beyond blessed. Uh, but at some point it will come to an end. I don't know when and I don't plan on being anytime soon. Um, but, you know, this has been my biggest and best opportunity in the business. And, you know, the waves that AEW is making in the whole world of professional wrestling um, from, you know, the very first, you know, all in event. Um, you know, I was very supportive of that. 
uh, simply for the fact that I knew what it could do to help change the business of professional wrestling. You know, uh, TNA now impact wrestling has been around for so long and it's amazing that they're still around and it's awesome. They're still around because it presents opportunities for guys and girls to have a place to work and at a top level place. Uh, but what AEW was doing is doing and will do in the business of professional wrestling is just really, really cool. And the opportunities that, like I said, started it all in, um, and then the company itself was born AEW, um, and then the first TV program, you know, coming on TNT and then the extension of the contract and everything that just, we keep doing, man, for me, like you said, going back to the whole mantra of everybody dies, it's like, take your chance now. Don't let anything pass you by kick ass now and, and, and apologize later if you have to. And I feel like because you're making such an impact in AEW, you kind of like this 20 year overnight success for a lot of people who maybe <laughs> wasn't more familiar with your work. Right. It's been funny, you know, because there'll be sometimes when people, um, you know, I consider myself, you want to say I'm a former anything, I guess I would say I'm a former new Japan guy, but yeah. there's a lot of people that, you know, new Japan was growing and becoming a more world-based company and had access TV for a few years, you know, and uh, new Japan world gave them, um, uh, uh, more opportunities for the fans around the world to see it and watch it on a regular basis, but it was still, it was still kind of a niche market. Um, and there are people that were like, Oh wait, that's the dude he was in WWE or, Oh man, that was, I remember him from TNA and I'm like, that was 15 years ago, you know, stuff like that, you know? And it's like, people are like, where has he been? What's he been doing? It's like, I've been wrestling the entire time, but you know, some people, because they only see what they see in the U S market. Uh, when I showed up in AEW, it, it changed the game, you know, because people, like you said, it was like, I've been doing this for 20 years. I never stopped. I never slowed down, but a lot of people didn't know because they only knew, you know, TNA from 2005, or they only knew my, you know, very, very short, ugly stint in WWE from 2009, 2010. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it's one of those things. It's kind of funny when people start saying that and I'm like, no, I've, I never stopped. Well, you've made such a splash in AEW, but then it was taken to the next I'm level. I'm a big guy. I'm a big guy. So, you know, it's going to be a big <laughs> I see what you did there. But also the fact that you're you know, partnered up with Jake Roberts. I mean, I, f right. I feel like that that brings it to a whole new level. So is that something that you knew when you signed on that you were going to be partnered with him? Not when I signed on. Um, I did, you know, again, before everything really shut down, they they came to Austin, Texas, and I went down there and had some conversations. And that was when it was first brought up, the idea. And there were a couple different options. And, and Jake and I just seemed to be the best fit. Um, and, you know, Jake being Jake and the legend he is, and his ability to go out there and cut the promos he can cut. For me, you know, again, we talk about the fact that I've been out of the U.S. market um, for, you know, nearly a decade at that point. Um, and he was a perfect tool in that aspect to help reintroduce me to the U.S. audience, you know, because people know, you know, the legend that is Jake the Snake Roberts. They know when he gets on the microphone, you're paying attention, you're listening. So if he's talking about me and talking well about me, you're going, hmm, let's see what Lance is about. And for the people who either forgot about me, didn't know about me or whatever the case is, it was amazing reintroduction into the U.S. market working with Jake the Snake Roberts. I mean, I'd like to believe, you know, the few opportunities I've had on the microphone with AEW, I've shown that I can speak. And, you know, my, my crazy post-match interviews that I would do in Japan would show that, you know, there's a crazy monster that, that, that can actually say some words without tripping on himself too much. Um, but that Jake is the perfect person to help me re be in a reader Ooh, there. I'm tripping on my words now, <laughs> be reintroduced to the U S market in a way that, you know, just by myself wouldn't have been the same. 
the Japanese style of wrestling is so different from the American style of wrestling. So mm-hmm. what is it that you learned there that you're now bringing into AEW? I, I brought AEW a true, true monster. They, you know, I'm not saying that we don't have some monsters now because we absolutely do, but I don't think that even the U.S. market, even within AEW, even with, in my opinion, a lot of the companies that exist today that people are watching, they weren't going to get the monster they were getting in the Martyr Hog monster. Because I believe that I was bringing, you know, channeling my Bruiser Brody, my Stan Hansen, guys that really made their names. Vader's, you know, people know Vader, but Vader made his name and became the monster that Vader was because of his time in Japan. And I think that's what I learned over there. Um, it, it was something and someone that I always needed to be. Um, I just didn't know how to be that guy, you know, in my early parts of my career. And the great thing, and I always tell people when they ask, it's like, what did, what did Japan do for you? How did it help you? And it helped my confidence in a way that I'd never had before. You know, and I didn't hear a lot of no's when I was in Japan. It was always like, yeah, yeah, very good. Very good, but more big, more strong, more monster. And I'm like, all right, you want more monster? I'm gonna keep doing crazy things, you know. And it it morphed and it changed from. Uh, there was a time, you know, again before the world went nuts, uh, that you know I was coming out and spitting water and throwing water and going through the audience, and I'd carry like nine bottles of water. You know, everybody always try to count the bottles of water that keep pulling out of my pants. Uh, and you know, and, and the fans loved it, like making signs and holding their kids up, like please spray my baby with your water from your mouth, you know, and it was, it was pretty crazy, cool experience, you know, and scaring kids, you know, getting in their face and making them cry and while their dads laughed because they loved every moment of it and things like that, things you can't get away with in the U S um, you know, and so that's what I was doing. I was channeling that monster that I think you can really only find in Japan. And I was bringing it to the U S market. If there's someone who's maybe not familiar with the work you did in New Japan, what are, you know, two or three matches that they need to go watch right now? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I, I think the one that I think most people saw, and it was, again, it was kind of that that reintroduction, that coming out party because it was on live TV in the U.S. was the match with Will Ospreay at last year's G1 opening. Um, you know, I think the people who did know me and even New Japan kind of was like, you know, Lance is good and he'll do his job. And, and you know, we think we know what we're going to get from him. Um, and we're okay with that. And then I was able to go out there and Will, you know, he's one of those guys like AJ Styles that if you have a bad match with Will, there's something really wrong with you. But I think I was able to step up in a way that people absolutely didn't expect to see from me. Um, the same could be, again, I brought up AJ Styles. You know, AJ and I had a match in the 2014 uh, G1 Climax. And it was one of those amazing matches. Again, AJ Styles, if you have a bad match with AJ, there's something really wrong with you. Um, you know, I, uh, Toge, uh, Togi Makabe was a guy that I was kind of what we call married to when I first started with the company. And he helped me really develop, you know, at the time I was calling myself the American Psycho. Um, and he kind of helped develop that original, that initial American psycho. And, uh, you know, Minoru Suzuki, who's just known as a bad, bad man, you know, murder grandpas, some people like to call him, uh, you know, he, he helped to develop me, you know, in the time that I was with in Suzuki goon and, you know, obviously all the tag matches that, that Smith and I had, you know, the different title matches we had at the Tokyo dome, uh, there's a real good one, uh, with Smith and I against Yvonne Sonata from a few years ago at the Tokyo dome. And, you know, there's just, I mean, like I said, it's almost nine years uh, worth of matches that people could go and look up. So <laughs> there's, there's a handful of great ones right there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank 
as you look uh, at the AEW roster, I mean, you've, mm-hmm. worked, you've worked a handful of people, but who are you really right. excited to get in there with? Oh, man. And that, that was the cool part. I mean, part of the decision even coming to AEW was, you know, who, who would you like to work with? And there were so many guys um, that I'd never even stepped in the ring with. You know, Cody, I'd never worked with Cody before. You know, we've known each other. We'd been around each other a little bit of time in WWE. Then obviously he came over and did some stuff in Japan and New Japan and Ring of Honor when I was doing stuff with them. But we never actually stepped in the ring together. Hmm. Um you know, now Brody Lee, Brody is a guy that, you know, he, he did a lot of good stuff in Japan, you know, in, in a different company than I was in and at different times, but I think he and I can step in the ring. Um, Brian Cage and I have stepped in the ring several times on like the independent level and whatnot, but we've never done it on a major stage. And we've always had amazing chemistry balancing, you know, his style and my style and, and creating something that I think that you don't get to see from a lot of big men in the business. Um, I mean, Omega, you know, a guy that I never got to wrestle while I was in New Japan. Um, Pac was, you know, or, or Pac, you know, he's somebody that, you know, hopefully he's coming back and with the world opening up a little bit, he'll be back working more often. There might be an opportunity to work there. Um, oh gosh, the list goes on and on with guys that I've never even stepped in the ring with that are in AEW that I think can have, I can have amazing matches with them and matches that most people didn't think that they were going to be able to see, you know. Um, one of the matches I got to have leading up to my match with Cody was with Dustin and Dustin, and I had only wrestled one time ever before in, in WWE when he was doing gold dust. And that was, you know, 10 plus years ago. Yeah. And then when we stepped in the ring together, I think we did something fun and special that, um, and, and two guys that again, who hadn't touched in 10 years and had only wrestled one time before prior to that. Uh, Moxley and I, the only two times we've ever stepped in the ring together were at the Tokyo Dome and then just recently on Dynamite. And we've had an amazing good chemistry and such good fights there. And, you know, there's, again, so many guys. I, I, I can't wait to actually step in the ring with Eddie Kingston and put his, uh, put his teeth down his throat. You know, and we've, never had, we've never had that chance yet. So Yeah, I, I think you turned a lot of heads when you put that poor guy through the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> what, what, did that just happen spur of the moment or did you guys go, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to put you through the ceiling. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 was one of those cool moments that kind of morphed into that. Um, the guy's name is Kentucky. Uh, he's, he's, (laughs) if you watch a lot of Darby stuff, he gets killed by Darby a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, and he was one of those guys, he was there and, uh, you know, I, I kind of come up with the scenario, the scene, you know, where they were trying to interview us and I just go in and destroy a entire locker room of guys. And, you know, the guys that were all there were extremely cool to to get, get, the crap beat out of him like they did. And Kentucky was one of those that, again, he's a little more over the top and willingness to take crazy stuff. Um, and one of the deals is like, what if we throw him into the ceiling? And they're like, that sounds amazing. Let's try it. And it, we did two takes and that was the second one everybody oh, saw. No. Uh, but it was great. Cause like he went into the ceiling and then I threw him through a trash can and I dumped him in a trash can on the way out. So it was, it was a cool moment, a cool experience. And for anybody that's seen any of, Kentucky's stuff on Darby's Instagram. Like he's kind of like, he's like the new age jackass. I feel like. Absolutely. He, he, he's, he's Steve-O with the death, death wish. Yeah. I, I think what was, what was actually worse than being thrown through the ceiling is the bump that he then took, you know, 10 feet down to the ground where he just <laughs> collapses onto the ground. Yeah. I, and then I, I, I think on one of the darks, I actually carried him out by his belt and chunked him onto the stage. So If you're suffering from hair loss, then I've got the answer for you. 
go to Bosley. For everyone listening to this podcast right now, Bosley is giving away a free info kit and $250 off gift card when you text my name, CVV, to 203203. Bosley offers the latest technology and the only permanent solution to hair loss. People all over the country trust Bosley, and Bosley is considered America's number one hair restoration practice. Bosley offers both surgical and non-surgical solutions, and the sooner you take action, the more options you'll have to keep your hair or put hair where you need it most. Two out of three men will experience some degree of hair loss by the age of 35. But with today's technology, you don't have to live with hair loss. Get started today with a free info kit and $250 off gift card. Just text CVV to 203-203. That's CVV to 203-203. Even though sports may have taken a little bit of a break in 2020, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering listeners of our show a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And the wait is over, my friends. We finally have football again. Now, you may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures. You can do it all day, every day. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. I imagine you've always been like a pretty big guy. Like how tall were you at age 13? Oh, 13. I don't know. I mean, I graduated high school. I mean, I'm, I'm a little over six, six now, you know, with boots on six, eight. Um, you know, I, I think I graduated high school at like six, four, had, grew, grew a couple more inches, you know, as I, as I went into college and whatnot, but I was, I was, I'm not like a massive dude to begin with, but even then coming out of college or high school, you're a pretty big college, dude. I'm okay. But you know, back then I was six, four, six, five, like 198 pounds. 
So I was real, real, real thin beanpole, you know, and football was my game and I wanted to be a quarterback and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I wasn't really looking to try to put on any size. I was just looking to have a strong arm and, and be a good quarterback. Um, and it wasn't until I got out of football that I, you know, was interested in wrestling and kind of got into wrestling. And I had a conversation with somebody from WWE one time, and this was many, many years ago. I want to say around 2000 or so, 2001, maybe. And they were like, Oh, how tall are you? And I was like, Oh, six, six. And they're like, Oh, uh." I'd send them a picture and they liked the picture. And they're like, how much do you weigh? And I think at the time I was like two Oh five, maybe two ten. I went, yeah, two Oh five, two ten. They went, yeah, call us back when you're around two fifty, two sixty. Wow. (laughs) They were, (laughs) They were like, basically like, you know, without saying it, they were like, uh, you need to uh, do some things to get, get a little bit bigger. <laughs> and, and how big are you now? Uh, I think around 260. Uh, legit. So. There you go. You, it only took you 20 years now. <laughs> so 20 years, was, 20 years and a couple pizzas. That's it. So was it, was it that football was like the career path that you wanted to be on in high school? You thought I'm yeah, going yeah. to be a pro football player one day. I mean, you live in Texas. That's yeah. That's life there. Yes, absolutely. You know, it was one of those things like I went to a little small high school. I mean, we had like a total of 88 people graduate uh, in the year I graduated. And I think only 66 people actually walked to that day. And um, so it was a tiny little high school and whatnot. And yeah, I wanted to be a quarterback. You know, I would go out uh, to our football field at night and there was literally one big spotlight that shone on one of the goalposts. So I would take a tire and hang it from that goalpost in the middle of the night. And I'd take me, you know, five or six footballs, whatever I had laying around the house, different sizes, Nerf balls to regular balls, whatever. And I would just go and do drop back passes for a couple of hours every night, you know, you know, until my mom was yelling at me from the house. Um, you know, and then I, I, I tried to go to college and uh, tried to play. The first school I went to was called Howard Payne University. Um, we had 11 quarterbacks show up to camp. You know, it was an NAI school at the time, so they didn't have the NCAA restrictions as far as the number of players that could be, you know, even in camps and whatnot. Um, so we had 11 quarterbacks when I showed up, um, you know, and the, and the coaches kind of had their uh, preconceived desires of who they were going to be playing and stuff. And so Howard Payne didn't really work out and I ultimately transferred to a school now called Texas state university, but it was Southwest Texas and ultimately graduated from there. Um, and I tried to play one season, but again, you know, they did have the NCAA restrictions, but, um, there were still, I think there were seven or eight quarterbacks when I showed up to camp. Wow. So it was one of those things like you just, I wasn't ever the chosen one. So I was always, you know, number six or seven on the depth chart when I'd show up and I'd do pretty well, but I was never really getting past any practice, practice squad stuff and ultimately got out of football and was just, you know, going to school and, and bouncing at clubs in Austin, Texas. And I uh, was a fan of pro wrestling until, you know, the owner of my club knew a guy that randomly started a wrestling school in Austin, Texas called the Southwest Wrestling Federation. And uh, a guy that just, probably shouldn't have started a school. I think when he first started the school, uh, Ivan Putsky was his head trainer and uh, Scott Putsky was around and uh, they were doing the training and they actually, Paul London uh, was one of his first students in there. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but then Paul left within like the first six months and started touring and doing his thing. Uh, Ivan and the guy who started the school had a filing out. So they left. Um, So when I showed up, the guy who trained me was a guy named Solo Fidala. Um, just this, this Hawaiian dude, Samoan dude that, um, uh, he, he was just a really good dude, really cool cat, but you know, he didn't really teach me anything psychologically about the business. He just taught me, here's how you punch, here's how you kick, here's how you fall, here's how you do these moves. And there was one other dude in the class and me and him, you know, beat the crap out of each other about two or three times a week. And, 
you know, I, I didn't really start learning the business, the psychological aspect of it until I started traveling with a bunch of, uh, Sean Michaels kids. Cause he had a school in San Antonio, Texas, right. um, that actually they, they offered to let me come to the school, but the price was too expensive and I couldn't afford it. Um, so I started traveling with them and that's kind of how I started really learning the business on the road and in, in, in Texas independent wrestling. Did you actually get to take some knowledge from Sean as well, or just from his students? No, no, no. Sean, you know, Sean started his school. And from my understanding, like his first couple of classes, he was pretty well involved with. And, and a lot of the guys I traveled with were actually in the first couple of classes. Uh, you know, uh, American Dragon or uh, Daniel Bryan was a part of one of those first two classes. Uh, Spanky was a part of that. And then a lot of the guys that I was traveling with, uh, you know, they they were actually a part of those first couple classes. And then I think Sean had his own kid at the time. And then I think one of uh, a kid actually suffered a pretty serious neck injury in one of the classes. And those couple things combined kind of soured Sean from being there. The school was still going on. Um, uh, Rudy Boy Gonzalez was the main trainer there. Um, so he's, he's the one that I dealt with mostly when I would go around there and then the students that were traveling with me to go places. And we were driving to an independent, uh, company in Dallas, Texas called PCW professional championship wrestling. And they actually ran a weekly show and had a TV show in Dallas, Texas. So it's my boy, my, my dog Buster's coming to say hello. Hey, Buster. (laughs) (laughs) Making his, just a little pop. Yeah. No, he's, he's a. He's a labrweenie is what we've figured out. Um, and I think this is about as big as he's going to get. He oh, looks no like way. a Labrador. Wow. He looks like a Labrador, but he's actually like a mix. So this is about oh. as big as he's going to get. What a great mix. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm really curious about your quarterback style. Who, uh, which quarterback okay. would, you, would you compare it to? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I truly had anybody that I would be compared to. I mean, I was a traditional like pocket passer. I wasn't. I like a drop wasn't back a, pocket passer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was straight up, you know, and I actually in high school, I convinced my coach because we didn't do any kind of shotgun. I, I got my center and like for about a week or two, we just we, after practice, we'd sit there and I'd get him to do uh, shotgun snaps. And like I showed my coach, so, look, we can do this. And he's like, oh, OK. And he added it into the offense. So it wasn't even something that we had. Um, you know, so, I, again, I was just a very traditional, you know, Dan Marino-esque, I guess, without being as good as Dan Marino ever. You know, I <laughs> never would have come close to being Dan Marino. But, you know, I guess in sense, the tall, that kind of style, you know, not yeah. extremely mobile, mobile enough, but not extremely mobile, but just a drop back in the pocket, you know, maybe some some sprint out type passes and stuff like that. But nothing, yeah, nothing of what today's quarterbacks can do. No, no Patrick, no Patrick Mahomes here, man. Yeah, I know that boy. He's, uh, he's incredible <laughs> to watch. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, who who are some of the wrestlers that you looked up to when you were a fan growing up? See, I, I didn't start watching wrestling until my like sophomore year in high school. So, and Sting was the guy that that got me into it when he took on the Crow persona. And I don't even remember how I started watching it. I think again, I was just I liked the movie The Crow, um, and I think I must have just randomly, accidentally turned on WCW. And there was Sting standing in, you know, full Crow-esque, you know, standing in the rafters with the Crow thing going. I'm like, who's this guy and what's going on? You know, not knowing his history and, and, you know, how big of a name he already was in the business. Um, And then not learning that till later. But, you know, just seeing that and going, well, I want to see what else happens here. And so I was a big WCW uh, Mark, as we like to say, uh, fan. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't miss a Nitro, I think, from there on out. Was there a certain person that you stepped into the ring with? in your career and you've been mm-hmm. like, I, I can't believe I'm wrestling this person. <laughs> you know, no, I don't think so. I mean, there's, there's, I think my, my 
career has been more of situational rather than person. Um, you know, obviously I've had a few times where, you know, my, my short time in WWE where I, I got to go toe to toe with Kane and guys like that, you know, and stuff of that nature. And those were cool moments to think of, you know, so a fun story in this breaking kayfabe, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so this is my fun story. There was a moment we had a random like battle Royal on SmackDown. And I remember we were all, you know, everybody's in the ring and it had everybody from SmackDown at the time, you know, the Ray Mysterios and Canes and all this stuff. So, you know, all the young guys who were just, you know, starting on the company and whatnot, you know, we'd obviously go with each other and we'd go to the people we were comfortable with and stuff like that. Fit Finley, who was one of the guys that, you know, helped train a lot of us and would come down to FCW and work with us a lot. So he was a guy that a lot of us were comfortable with. So we kept going to Fit. And I think if you could pull up the, the video of that battle row. And I don't remember when it was 2009 somewhere you'd see a lot of the FCW guys that, you know, just been on the road or been on ECW prior to that. We kept going over to fit and then we'd immediately fit and we'd go over to Kane. And it was because we get to fit and we'd start beating up fit. Vit would be on the ground. He'd be saying stuff and we go, what? And you go, go to Kane. So you just see guys go from fit straight to Kane. And Kane was just getting so frustrated and fed up with it. It was like, we just were like ants coming at him and he throw his big uppercut and get away from me. Get away from me. You know, it was funny. <laughs> you know, in WWE, I don't, I don't know if uh, a lot of people really realize this. You were in a WrestleMania. Yeah, I was pre, pre, uh, pre network. You know, you had to get the DVD if you wanted to see my moment. Uh, yeah. And that, that's a really cool moment. Like talking, talking about, as far as are there any guys that I go, man, I can't believe I'm in here. And that was one of those, you know, I could be sour. I could be bitter about my time there, but what good does that do me? It doesn't help me move forward in, in wrestling or life or whatever. Um, and that was a cool moment to get to lace up the boots and walk down the ramp and, and get in the ring at a WrestleMania. And it was the pre-show battle Royal that they would do uh, pretty much every year. Um, you know, and I remember Tyler Rex was, good buddy of mine at the time and he was like right behind me i think when we were walking down the ramp it was just one of those moments you know i think they said there was seventy two thousand people at the at that mania that would that year in arizona and you know there's probably 30 or forty thousand in the, the the building at that point because everybody's still filtering in or whatnot while we're doing this battle royal and yeah i just remember they were you know playing the the generic music as all the different wrestlers head down to the ring for the battle royal and you know it's huge huge long rampway and whatnot and it was just one of those cool moments. I look back at Rex and I was like, bro, can you believe this? And it's like, no, this is too damn cool. You know, again, that we actually got to wrestle at a WrestleMania, even though it was just a pre-show battle Royal that Yoshitatsu yeah. won. So <laughs> why couldn't you be Lance in WWE? Why did you have to be Vance? Um, this was still a time when, you know, th there was no acknowledgement of anything prior to WWE really, you know, nobody really got past that. I think punk was like one of the only guys that had, had carried his name over from his, his time prior to WWE in that era. Um, and Vance was a name that Dusty came up with. Um, and I just, you know, they always had you submit as many names as you wanted to try to come up with a name for you uh, down in FCW. And FCW was another thing that, you know, it was their developmental territory, but you kind of existed in obscurity. Whereas now with NXT, if you're on NXT TV, the, the wrestling, uh, their audience knows those guys and girls, you know, so it's kind of hard to just be nothing and disappear. And, and so Vance was a name again that Dusty came up with and Archer is actually my dad's first name. So that's why I wanted to use actually when I was first using the name, I remember, you know, there were reports out that, that 
you know, former Lance Hoyt of TNA is doing a uh, Robin Hood gimmick because of the Archer name, which was absolutely untrue. There was no truth to it whatsoever. I never donned green tights and carried a bow and did anything like that. So, <laughs> which was what funny. Is, I was just like, no. <laughs> what does the tattoo on your left arm here say? The left arm uh, says, give justice each morning to those that you judge. And this one says, the Lord is my strength, my fortress, and my refuge. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 21, 12, and 16, 19. Wow. So what was the first tattoo you ever got? Uh, it was, there was a, a 10 that is underneath the sun. And it was, uh, I t- just turned 18 and a bunch of us from high school were like, let's go get tattoos. And we went to a tattoo shop and we got there and every single person punked out of it, you know, to say the least. And uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, I'll get one, but I don't want to pay for it. And so they paid for it. I think it was like 25 bucks to get a number 10. That was my high school football number. Literally just the number 10. Yeah, literally just the number 10. I think I added uh, eagles underneath it at some point later, and then ultimately the sun covered all that up. Yeah, at what point were you like, all right, that's got to go. I'll, I'll cover this up now. <laughs> I think once, you know, I'd really gotten out of football, and I was like, oh, that doesn't really mean what it did then. You know, I think maybe if I had stayed in football, I would have left the 10 and just done stuff around it. But, you know, yeah, once, once I got out of football, and it, you know, the number 10 eagles wasn't going to be the same meaning in the future, I decided to cover it up. And this is even morphed. It was just a black sun at one point, And then I added some depth to it and some, some color to it. So what do you think is the biggest thing you've learned since being partnered up with, with Jake Roberts? Um, as far as, you know, wrestling, I, I'm pretty, I understand myself really well. Sure. Um, you know, I, you can always obviously learn. There's always, there's some amazing people around AEW that can always help me grow. And even the youngest talent that are coming up, cause this is a whole new era of professional wrestling. You know, the guys and girls that are doing what they're doing in 2020, obviously not, I'm making myself sound old. Weren't doing that when I first started. So I can always learn from them uh, in the ring, whether it's, you know, the, the youngest person on our roster or somebody who's been around this business longer than I have. Um, but with Jake, I think the one thing that he's helped me tremendously with, you know, in the promos, you know, I, I, I got my first real chance. I, I cut a small short one on Dynamite uh, prior to the Moxley match that was good. Um, and then uh, I got to do one on Dark that was on uh, Tuesday night, you know, and whatnot. And that was my first real chance to really speak. And, and I think that's one of the things that he's helped me out the most with, you know, understanding a cadence, understanding, uh, how to speak and what to say and when to say it. And, and, you know, creating an emotional inflection when you say what you say, you know, the same with what you do in in the ring, but doing it now on the microphone, because he's amazing. And, you know, when he's focused and he has a direction with what he wants to say, almost nobody better in the business. You know, knowing what you know now, and of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. If you could go right. back, is there anything you think you could change so that you wouldn't have been released from WWE? Um, you, you know, I always say that if I'd have done, like, what AEW is benefiting from now is my time post-Japan. I always say if, if I'd have gone from, like, TNA straight to Japan and then probably showing up in WWE, I think it's just, it's a confidence level that I did not have in myself, not understanding who I was, what I should be, how I should present myself, you know, the monster that is now the murder hawk monster. Um, Japan just helped me discover myself in a way that is, like I said, AEW is absolutely benefiting from that. Uh, and if, and when I had done that prior to going to WWE, because I literally like, I finished up with uh, TNA on a Tuesday. My contract went null and void on a Wednesday. I was down in Tampa doing a trial on Thursday. 
and then had a contract in my hand within a, a week, you know, so I literally had almost no time in between my TNA and WWE stuff yeah. going to the, going to their FCW product was really good for me. You know, for some people are like, Oh, you should just go straight to TV. And it's like, once I got there and once understanding how they do business, especially back then being an FCW was very valuable to me. Um, but I just still didn't know the confidence because like I was saying, FCW existed in obscurity. When I debuted on their ECW product, I had short hair, no facial hair, you know, no jacket, nothing. And that was decided about five minutes before doors opened. Um, I had, I had hair down to the middle of my back, a goatee, like I've been sporting in AW down to here. Uh, had this big badass biker jacket that I wore all these different, this image and this personality and this mentality that I had in FCW. That was from my understanding later, that was the reason I got brought up. Yeah. Um, but like literally like five minutes before doors open and I'm, I'm standing in the ring and, uh, Vince and, uh, Johnny are talking to each other. So I don't know what they're saying. And Johnny's like, Hey kid, come here. So what's up, Johnny cutting your hair. It's like, I'm on TV tonight. And he goes, yeah. I'm like, All right, whatever. You know? And they chopped my hair off and shaved my face and had me lose the jacket. And, uh, you know, I always say I, I became big guy number three that day, um, <laughs> you know, in the video game. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, you can't, help but be shaken by that to a small degree because there's not really it's not like we're doing all this and this is the direction we need you to go it's just like nope cut your hair shave your face lose a jacket go and it's like well what do you want me to do i don't know that's for you to decide and you're like okay here i go and it, like i said some guys and girls can just like that and they figure themselves out and in, in a split second and go and do it but i think Again, if you're any kind of an artist and you have a mentality of, you know, who you are and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to be, and then all of a sudden that's completely taken away from you and told to go be something completely, not necessarily completely different, but not knowing what you were, you know, it, it, it can be mind boggling to say the least. And yeah, it's uh, kind of, it's almost like a, it's like a clean slate almost like you had, you'd built up this whole thing and then like, right. what? Yeah. You literally like, they took me in to see Vince after they cut the hair and they're like, Vince, what do you think? He goes, yes, we're going to break you down so we can build you up. I went, then you like it? He goes, yes, now get out. <laughs> so I left his office with that note, you know, and it was, like I said, it was never a bad situation. It was just, I didn't know what I should be. And like I said, the confidence that I have now coming from Japan, um, I didn't have then. If I'd had it, it would have been a very different story in my opinion. I'm blown away sitting here talking to you that you're 44 years old. Like you're the youngest 44 Hey, 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 hey. Not 44 Sorry. yet. Not 44 Oops. yet. 43. Sorry. I'm, everybody dies. I'm going to have to start with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> what is the secret to maintaining this youth? <laughs> uh, you know, God's blessed me beyond understanding and deservedness. Um, you know, continuing to push myself on a physical level, you know, trying to control my diet. And, and, you know, it's just doing all the little things that help a human being keep moving forward. You know, it's, uh, we live in a world now where a lot of people just don't want to go and get off their couch. And I think that's the thing is I've never let myself sit still. And, you know, I make sure I go to the gym every day and stretching has become such a huge part of my life, you know, and when you're younger, you don't think about those things, you know, now that I'm a seasoned person, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's become a big part of my daily routine, you know, stretching and, and, and understanding my body and pushing myself, but not pushing myself past the point of, you know, just being injured or something like that. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, keeping a positive outlook on things. You know, there's a lot of talking about all the time that I've had in the business. There were several times from getting let go from TNA to getting let go from WWE, you know, mentally those things can weigh on you 
if you let them. And I just looked at them as bumps in the road. And I said, you know, what? okay, cool. What's next? How do I keep moving forward? Which direction can I go now? You know, like I said, with TNA is like, as soon as I knew my time there was ending, uh, I had somebody reaching out on my behalf, which ultimately got me a job there. And as soon as I found out my time with, uh, TNA or excuse me, WWE ended, I, I reached out because I'd gone to Japan a couple times before and worked like a small tour with all Japan um, and had a connection in Japan. And I was like, can you reach back out to all Japan? Uh, they did. Um, all Japan agreed, but then tried to cut the money. I got them to agree to at least the same money that I had prior to my WWE spent. Um, and then they just decided they weren't going to spend the money on any foreigners. So I had that same person reach out to New Japan. And I, I think New Japan, all they knew about me at the time, this was 2011, was uh, he's a big guy. He just left WWE. So sure, we'll take a look at him. Um, I showed up in Philadelphia because they were doing a small East Coast tour. And uh, it was one of those moments where like Tiger Atori, um, it, he, I'd known him for years because he'd come around TNA and whatnot. And uh, 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 Kojima, who was a champion at All Japan at the time. And then Suzuki. The, my history with Suzuki, the very first match I ever had in Japan uh, was with a small independent company called Makahen. It was in a very tiny place that was like a 200, 300 seat, you know, building. And I had a tag match against Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki. Did not know anything about Suzuki, his history, you know, with his shoot fighting and, and pancreas and all that stuff. And I remember I came in, I kicked him one time because he was beating up my partner and he didn't sell, he didn't move, he didn't budge. He just turned and looked at me real evilly. And I just went, cool, I guess I'll get out of the ring right now because I didn't know what else to do because he was just like, <laughs> and I was like, murder grandpa is going to get me. And I didn't know anything about him, you know. So my history around around Suzuki has been from the very first match I ever had in Japan. Um, he was in, in All Japan at the time when I did my small thing in, with All Japan. And then fast forward to 2011, being paired with him and being the original Gaijin member of Suzuki Goon, you know, and, and just – that partnership or excuse me, those relationships that I already made with different people helped spawn, you know, my nearly decade long career with uh, New Japan. Yeah. I've been following you on Twitter for a while and I'm very curious to know why you hate mint <laughs> chocolate so much. <laughs> Cause it's horrible. It's nasty, man. It's like, it's like, you. how took, dare you? It's like you took chocolate and found your toothpaste and went, this will be good and put your toothpaste <laughs> on it and then ate it. It's absolutely horrendous, man. Just stick with pizza, pineapple and jalapenos, bro. That's the good stuff. Uh, how pineapple does not belong on pizza, sir. <laughs> Absolutely belongs on pizza. It's sweet and sultry. And then you throw some jalapenos in to get it make kind of spicy. It's good for you. It's all like mushy when you bite into it. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. I hate it. It's pizza. Pizza's mushy. What are you talking about? Pizza's, uh, yeah. I just, I just think that is, that is sacrilegious. That's what that is. Well, you go eat your, your toothpaste and chocolate and I'll enjoy my, bliss, <laughs> my blissful uh, pineapple pizza. <laughs> You know, I like to say, be great and be grateful. So I like to end every interview by asking you, what are three things that you're grateful for right now? Uh, I, well, I, I'm absolutely grateful for my relationship with God. I mean, I know some people are on board with that and some aren't. And if you aren't, that's cool. I'm, this is how I feel about things because I think without God, I would not be here today, 20 years later in the wrestling business. I would not be sane at all because this world is crazy to begin with. Uh, I'm grateful my, for my family because they've been absolutely supportive of my crazy career and the business of professional wrestling and traveling around the world and, and doing all the silly things that I've gotten to do. And then, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my health, for being 
only 43 years old and uh, still being in, in pretty decent shape and, uh, you know, no major injuries to this point. You know, I had one back surgery back in 2017 that, you know, New Japan took care of me on and, and have been great since then. So it's one of those things. So God, family and health, man, those are the three things I'm absolutely grateful for. This was great. And I'm looking forward to seeing you as the AEW champion. I'm sure it's happening sometime soon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Eventually, you know, they're, they're not going to stop me. Like I said, my little promo, I'm like the Jason Voorhees of AEW. I'm never going to stop coming. You can keep, you can kill me as many times as you think you killed me, but I'm never going to stop coming. This was great. Lance Archer. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. Well, there you have it. Lance Archer. Ladies and gentlemen, and isn't it amazing to see how warm and kind and nice the man behind the monster is? He's a future champion, for sure, especially with him being aligned with Jake Roberts. So cool hearing that insight about him being paired up with with Jake Roberts. Take a screenshot. Let us know what really stood out for you in this interview. Tag us on social media so we can share it and so we can say hi. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Lance is at Lance underscore Hoyt. And in doing the research for this interview, it's really interesting seeing how many different looks that he's had during his career. If you have some time this week, if you have any time this week, you know, when you're not leaving review or subscribing, uh, do a quick Google search for Lance Hoyt, Vance Archer, Lance Archer, you know, whatever you want to type in there. And you'll see some photos from 10-ish, 12-ish years ago, and you'll be like, that's the same guy? It's just amazing what he's transformed himself into. And I know that there's a lot going on in the world right now, but I've said it many times before. I'll say it again. The quote that John Cena said during his interview stood out for me so, so much, and it's so worth repeating. Control the controllable. And as Jimmy Dean famously said, I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to always reach my destination. Mm. I feel like Lance Archer has adjusted his sails quite a bit. And look at him now, sailing off to become the AEW champion. Was that a prediction? I think that's a prediction. It's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. So be great. Be grateful. Have a great week. We'll see you on Thursday for another ridiculous chat with the Good Brothers, the Talking Shop Boys, back on the CVV Show.